Today we talked to BJ Seip about the idea of coming forward. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Welcome to Preach Impediments. Today we're going to be talking to B.J. Seip. He is a preacher out in Danville, Kentucky. He is the podcast host of Set Your Mind Above, which he does four times a week. And you can find that on his Facebook page. Just look for Brian James Seip and you'll find his very excellent podcast there. He has a wife named Kylie, two kids. Uh, he is from Oregon, is a massive Oregon fan and uh, several other teams that he would admit probably aren't worth watching. BJ has agreed to come on Preach Impediments and discuss coming forward, and he has some insightful things to share with you. Let's jump straight into the conversation with a good definition. BJ, how would you define the concept of coming forward? That's a really good question, and I really kind of break it down into two different things when I think about coming forward. And one of them is very biblically based, and another one seems to have been born out of a tradition, and you mentioned altar call, and I believe that a lot of Reformed or Restoration churches have really kind of taken the altar call and made their own version of it. So I'll start with the biblical model. You know, you open up the book of Acts, and you look at Acts chapter 2, and Peter tells them what they need to do and says, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then as people are receiving his word, they're being baptized. He is inviting them to obey the gospel. And so there's that first part of coming forward. You know, when when a, when the gospel is preached, there always should be some form of what I'll call an invitation to respond to Jesus, to respond to the gospel. And to do that, you have to make that known. And so the way that we structure our services is someone comes forward and it's an opportune time to obey the gospel if the gospel has pricked them in that moment. Not the only time, obviously, the waters of baptism are open always. And, and we see examples of that, like with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Here's, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? But the other half of coming forward is, is maybe more of what I think of, and it's more of a negative context, and and that's this idea of coming forward to admit or confess some kind of public sin, or to come forward and to ask for forgiveness from the congregation. And it's interesting, so you look at the altar call, and the altar call really actually didn't even start until about the 1830s, early 19th century in America, and the altar call essentially is this invitation for someone to red, rededicate their lives to Jesus. And you see a lot of churches still do that today. And while a lot of churches have rejected the altar call because you don't see any scriptural you know, example of that or any practice of that in the New Testament, it's interesting to me because the way that the Bible talks about confession of sin— we actually don't really see 
exactly how we practice that example in the New Testament either. And so whether it's right or wrong, I don't think it's wrong, but it is interesting that the idea of coming forward and you know publicly confessing sin before the whole church after a sermon and during that time period and having a little conversation with the preacher on the front pew or the quote-unquote mourner's bench it is really much more of a traditional thing than it is necessarily a biblical practice that we pull from the Bible. I like how you separate that because there really is a sense in which there is the response aspect of the coming forward. And that is clearly very biblical. The the idea of the heart being pricked, the idea of me wanting to change something in my life and turning to God for that change or turning to uh, whoever has taught me uh, in order to get more information for that change. That does not necessitate the traditional aspect, you know, walking down that center aisle of a church building, all the eyes are on you. Uh, You sit there and go, are they all wondering, why is he going forward again? You know, what's he done this time? It's uh, that that whole uh, judgment, gossipy side of it, where where you wonder what people are thinking, which in reality, if, if it's a godly congregation, they're not thinking bad things about you. They're thinking, oh, I want to go hug their neck. I'm so sorry for them. I want to help them. That traditional side, the historical side that we see practiced on a service-by-service basis by most churches. How have you seen this play out differently? You mentioned you've been in several different places through the years. Have you seen much variation in the practice from place to place? That's such a good question, and it's really interesting when I think just about uh, how much of a cultural impact there is on this general practice within different churches uh, across just the United States. And when I was in the South, and places like, you know, even here in Kentucky or in Texas, uh, it very much was uh, the walk of shame, almost. And where if someone comes forward, the first thing in someone's mind was, what did they do, right, or what's wrong? Uh, And not that it was always received poorly. In fact, in both churches, you know, that I've been a part of in in the southern areas, uh, everyone has responded with love as they should, uh, you know, when someone comes forward and confesses some kind of public sin or something in their life. But what's interesting is when I was in Oregon, in, in the North, when people came forward, you legitimately had absolutely no idea what they were about to say. Because sometimes coming forward, people came forward because they wanted to share a joyous thing of, of how God had answered prayer in their life, and they just wanted to share it with the church, and we celebrated it together and said a prayer of praise to God. Uh, sometimes someone came forward just because they needed encouragement. And they came forward and said, I'm just really struggling right now. I'm, I'm, I'm having these doubts, or I'm just really discouraged because of these other things that people are aware of in my life, or maybe even not aware of. And I could just really use prayers and encouragement from this church. And so it was really interesting because in my, my years in Oregon, when people came forward, sometimes it was a really somber moment, but sometimes it was a very joyous moment. Well, and I love that because we have a hard time sharing good news with people. Uh, this might be a, a Southern thing, but I, I've 
had that conversation with people, we've discussed passages like Romans 12, where it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I'll ask the question, why don't we rejoice with those who rejoice? We don't create opportunities for that. And the response I get back is, well, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm bragging. If I got a promotion at work, if some great thing has happened, unless it's some major life event like you know, we're, we're pregnant and we're going to have a child, I don't share those things because I don't want anyone to think I'm bragging. But what a great thing to use this as an opportunity for, to have an opportunity to share good news, to right. rejoice, to celebrate, to shout victory together, uh, even if it were something... And, you know, a follow-up response of somebody comes forward to confess problem with a sin, they come back three months later to say, hey, I'm doing great. Right. What a great thing it would be to be able to have that opportunity to share with your life, your struggles, and your victories with God's people. Uh, let me throw another question sure. out to you, which is, do you think the traditional practice of coming forward is helpful or harmful when it comes to evangelism? Oh, that's a loaded question. And so I'm going to respond uh, honestly but cautiously. So let me, let me say this. I really think it depends upon the heart uh, of the worshipers who are, who are practicing this. If we as worshipers really study confession and understand what confession is all about and understanding, yeah, it's a difficult process, but it is the most healing and rewarding thing that we can do, especially when we support one another as we're called to in Scripture. That is when it's going to be a very effective tool for the gospel, because when people come into our assemblies and they see that we're not like a family, but that we are a family— and that when someone is struggling, that they're going to receive mentorship and grace and encouragement and love and given, you know, second chances because we all recognize that all of us are in a struggle against sin and all of us are just as dependent upon God's grace as everybody else. That is so attractive to others because they see the love of Jesus. And, and that's what Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And one of the best ways that we can show people Jesus is how we respond to people when they come broken back to Jesus and confess sin and say, I, I need help, I need grace. Well, I would add to that, because I, I think you're 100% right. Uh, ultimately, the bigger issue with the concept of coming forward is that if we don't treat it properly, it will not be utilized and it will not be effective for the purpose that it's supposed to have, which is to create that, that response, create that opportunity for change, create that opportunity for encouragement and edification. That's what we want it to do. Right. It requires us to do our part for it to have that effect. Right. You're 100% correct. I'll also say if we are more tied to the practice than we are to the purpose, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. 
the purpose of coming forward is to get people to recognize their need for Jesus and to pursue Jesus. There's a hundred different ways we could do that. So the problem is not the way we do it. The problem is if we let the way we do it interfere with the reason we do it. We've interfered and we've caused problems. You keep talking about confession. Shameless plug here for a future episode. I have Tommy Peeler coming on to talk about confession uh, in a couple of weeks after this episode airs. So I'm super excited about that. Let me ask you one final question. Our tagline for this show is pulpit words for the pew. So the idea of taking big fancy preachery words and distilling them down to common language that anyone in the pew might be able to understand. We're making words understandable, relatable, and applicable. What else do we need to talk about regarding coming forward to get to that understanding? Oh, I mean, with any topic like this, we could find things to talk about for hours. And so there's certainly things naturally that we have left out. Um, But what absolutely needs to be talked about, maybe that we haven't even touched on yet, and it's just all a part of this, is I think it's something that you were just touching on. Um, and, And that is recognizing that sometimes the things that we practice are tradition. And many times, because we've done them for so long, we almost believe that if someone practices it a little differently, uh, that it's wrong. Uh, and because we've basically taught ourselves that tradition is doctrine in many facets, many forms. You know, uh, the order of our service, or you know, singing four-part harmony rather than you know something different, or call and response, and uh, or how long we preach for. All these things are cultural and tradition, uh, or whether we sit in pews or not. Whether we have you know someone comes forward publicly at this particular time, this is all tradition. And if we want to allow you know, ourselves as a family to worship God as he's called for us to do. We need to let go of this idea that tradition is doctrine, uh, and we need to embrace uh, ways in which other people have practiced these things in a very biblical way, but perhaps in a different way. And so the reason I say that is, you know, I, I go back to, you know, where I came from in Oregon and the practice there, and we spent some time talking about how wonderful that was, uh, you know, the different ways that it was practiced. It opened up an opportunity for people to rejoice together. It gave people an opportunity uh, to confess sin. It gave people an opportunity just to ask for encouragement. And it worked there. Uh, and it was a beautiful thing, the way that they practiced it. And that was be- the reason it, it kind of morphed into that is because there was not this, you know, holding on to, you know, we have to do it this way and just focus on the practice you know, rather than the purpose. And uh, and so I really appreciate what you said there. I think I wanted to just expand on that, on this last question. And just to remind us, you know, if we are truly trying to be worshipers of God, we are not going to be concerned, you know, with tradition and practice. You know, those are fine and good and have their place, but it's not doctrine. We need to focus on the purpose. Um, just an aside, I'll, I'll give a parallel. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when when 
there's church discipline, and you guys might you might end up having an episode on on you know uh, withdrawal. I'm sure at some point, Adam, or or a subject like that. Um, and you see, you know, a group that thinks that they've done their part. No one, you know, someone's not been at services for four months, and so we sent them a letter, and then we sent them a second letter, and so now we're going to withdraw from them. And so we've done we, we've done the biblical practice, right? We've we've announced that we're withdrawing from this individual. Well, maybe we've practiced something that we think we're supposed to, but we've completely lost sight of the whole purpose. Because how many of us even realized that they were gone for the last four months? How many of us reached out to them? You know, how many you? If there's no relationship, the por- the purpose of withdrawal is to remove something that is important to someone else in order to cause repentance and to bring them to a realization of their need for the church. They don't have that. You know, that hasn't been there for the last four months, uh, and there's been no you know outreach, no pouring out, and so we, we we've we've forgotten the purpose and we've we've just held on to a practice. It's easy to do this with anything. And a lot of it comes down to why do why does this happen? Because we're so caught up in tradition and treat it as though it's doctrine. And so that's what I would say about this is just be careful not to treat this aspect coming forward uh, as as doctrine. That is a very traditional thing, and we need to be open to ways that we can perhaps bring God more glory and do whatever is best for that in our local congregations. Absolutely. It reminds me of Jesus's words over in Matthew 15, where he talks about uh, he's rebuking the Pharisees there about the fact that they have taken their tradition and they had excused themselves away from the actual commandments of God in pursuit of their tradition. And he quotes Isaiah by saying, they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. And that, that whole idea of letting our tradition, our practice, the way we've always done things dictate or or become even more important than the actual purpose of it, which is the response. And that to me is the the golden nugget that that I'm taking away from this uh, conversation is just the idea of separating the concept of the response from the actual traditional historical practice the response is what matters. Our goal is to get people to respond and give them the help they need to make the changes they need to make, whether that be becoming a Christian, uh, confessing sin, or bringing a celebration to the minds of everybody. Uh, all of those things, that sharing of life and sharing of our needs, that's really what it's all about. And whatever we do in order to bring about that response that's really what matters. That is the coming forward that we're looking for. What an honor it was to spend this time with you and this time with BJ Sipe. I hope that this episode was beneficial to you and that you were able to gain some understanding that would help you as we use terms and phrases and sermons and in other settings that you can, when you hear those phrases, maybe think back to the things we talked about on this episode. A big thank you to BJ again for his involvement, for his great comments that he made. And we would like to hear what your comments are. If you get an opportunity, leave us some comments. You can go to preachimpediments.com in order to leave those comments. Also, there will be a follow-up episode that I call a monopisode. It is just me speaking, where I try to fill in any gaps that might still be there after this great conversation. 
We ask that if you enjoyed the episode, you'll subscribe to the show. That is one of the best ways to help us know you're listening, and it's a great way for you to make sure you don't miss any of the episodes that are coming. There will be other great interviews to come and other great conversations to be had about preach impediments, words that are honestly a little too difficult to be used in everyday conversation, but maybe we're able to boil them down in a way that makes them uh, enjoyable and makes them usable for each one of us. Uh, We ask that you'll go to preachimpediments.com, find all the information there about the show, And if you enjoyed it, leave some feedback in whatever uh, platform you're using in order to listen to this podcast. 